This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 24, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Between January and March of 2015, U.S. Special Operations Forces deployed to more than 80 countries. But you probably didn't hear about most of that because secrecy and war-making without congressional authority is how America's wars often occur these days. Mark Mazzetti is a correspondent for The New York Times and author of The Way of the Knife, The CIA, The Secret Army, and A War at the Ends of the Earth. We spoke this week. When we talk about an invisible war, it seems like the only reason that the public would not know about it is if it's not reported on. So how does media coverage of these kinds of events get skewed by the fact that, you know, we don't have a physical presence within, uh, on the ground in a country? Well, it's an enormous challenge as a reporter, and I think it also makes it all the more important that the media determinedly report on these conflicts, these secret wars as they play out, because in many ways, the reason why uh, they are secret is because the United States goes into war, uh, you know, in places where there aren't journalists, there aren't NGOs, there are not, uh, not a lot of independent reporters. And so therefore, there's not a lot of great information. I think that When you look at the history of the post-9-11 period in the United States, it is as the history in Pakistan and Yemen and Somalia um, is as important, I argue, as the history in Iraq and Afghanistan. And these types of, whether you call them invisible wars or shadow wars, um, are um, going to be uh, more the norm than Iraq and Afghanistan. So I think it's that much more important to report on the costs and benefits of drone strikes in Pakistan or funding uh, uh, Somali proxies against Islamist groups. Uh, what does it mean uh, and what are the perils? And, and that's the only way you can actually learn from mistakes. President Obama and his entire administration has in some ways, I think, tried to say that the activities that the United States has been involved in in various countries is not war. Uh, You had the uh, director of communications say, well, it's not the kind of thing that you would normally associate with war in certain contexts, like, for example, boots on the ground, but you're still dropping bombs. And uh, you had the secretary of defense say that, well, it's not war, it's the kinetic military action which if you're on the ground in a country seems an awful lot like war. It is war. And it has been war for 14 years in some places that where it has not been officially declared war. In the tribal areas of Pakistan, in southern Yemen, it's war if you're using military action to achieve some kind of an outcome. And whether it's the CIA that's doing it or not, it's still a type of war. And this has allowed, the secrecy has allowed, I think, the government to develop any number of euphemisms about it, whether it's, as you said, kinetic action or um, the group in Syria is not boots on the ground. It's a specially ex- uh, targeting, special targeting expeditionary force. Um, it is, by any other Uh, definition, a type of military action that I think you see is proliferating. And I think the problem here is not that military action in and of itself is bad. I think that military action without discussion, debate, uh, or a whole lot of transparency is problematic in a democracy. The fewer the people, the fewer the number of people who are making decisions about war and peace, 
the greater the chance for uh, bad operations, the greater the chance for abuse of power. And I think that is the problem that we see and have seen over the years. And just one final point, I think that you know, there's a seductiveness of this, right? You can wage war in secret. You don't have to get congressional approval. You don't have to go on TV and try to rally American support because Americans are not sending their sons and daughters into combat. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not still war. With respect to the wars that President Obama has engaged in around the world, he's allowed to be very secretive about what groups have been targeted, why they were targeted. Um, and in the case of drone strikes, the intelligence may be not as good as you might imagine if you actually had forces on the ground in, in a country. So how does that change how the public understands uh, these fights? Well, I think that it's, it means that the public has very little information about what exactly is, is, is happening, and that's sort of by design. I think it's also an unwillingness on the part of the public to want to know too much. Um, but that's not to hang things on the American public. I think that there is this a natural reaction to the experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan of of tens of thousands of troops going to places, uh, thousands of casualties, and this feeling of what did it accomplish, and why uh, why would I send my son or daughter uh, in to fight this war that has that have these kind of outcomes that are not satisfying, um, and so when you look at polls that say. You know, should we send troops into Syria or should we just do drone strikes? If it's posed that way, overwhelmingly people are going to say, well, we should do drone strikes. And so that shows the support. And therefore, I think policymakers use that as a crutch to say, well, the American people support this. Well, that's if given the choice. But if the question is, should there be any military action in Syria or none, that's a tougher call. And I think those are the debates that we need to have, and I think to some degree that President Obama, at least on the Syria issue, has tried to engage. I mean, he's, he has, but in some instances he has said, uh, I have the full authority to drop bombs at this country. And then in other instances where it seems like he is uh, more reticent, he said, I'm going to ask Congress to vote on this, which seems to be uh, sort of a perverse uh, movement where the president then asks Congress to vote on something that he thinks he are, he has the authority to do anyway. I, I think that not to get inside the president's head too much. I think he does seem torn on some things. I think that what we've seen on the issue of terrorism and counterterrorism, the Congress has given the executive branch enormous power after 9-11 to go wage war around the world. Uh, if it's in the name of uh, fighting terrorism, we are now using uh, uh, we are now using post 9/11 authorities to justify military action against groups that didn't exist on 9/11, uh, and the president is running with that and using a very broad interpretation of his authorities. At the same time, you see, for instance, in Syria and the infamous red line episode where he pulled back and said Congress uh, needs to weigh in. Well, in that case, there was not a specific uh, action targeting terrorists; it was actions uh, uh, targeting another government, and in that. Case, case, it seemed that President Obama really was torn about whether the president should have this power. He saw just the day before the British parliament vote down the idea of the British government doing retaliatory strikes in Syria. 
for chemical weapons use. And I think that President Obama, the sort of constitutional professor in him, looked at that and maybe thought, uh, well, um, what is what kind of precedent does it set uh, to wage that kind of conflict uh, without using Congress? And of course, there was tremendous criticism uh, for his decision. In the effort to have Congress perhaps reassert its uh, Article I power to make those decisions uh, about war, is there any impulse, any drive to do so? And that's the problem. Congress has shown no real willingness or desire to take this back up, right? I mean, we are, in my mind, uh, way overdue for a a new look at the authorities the president should have to wage war overseas, uh, specifically on counterterrorism or in the name of counterterrorism. Um, and yet neither Republicans nor Democrats have shown a willingness to, uh, to take up this thorny issue for different reasons. Some don't want to, some on the right don't want to reestablish the sort of power of the president specifically a Democratic president. Um, but I think a lot of uh, more liberals in Congress are worried about giving it Congress's new stamp of approval, this sort of endless war, that if you, if you give a new authority, that means you're blessing this for years to come. Um, and so I think- Which both President Bush and President Obama effectively have argued the various uh, resolutions after 9-11 gave them the authority to do. Absolutely. And they are now, we're so far away from those original authorities that they're getting pulled further and stretched further uh, 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 to, the, to, to some degree, a point of absurdity. Uh, but you're not seeing any pushback from either Congress or in the public uh, for, for, for really, uh, as I said, trying to put new parameters on the authorities. One of the problems uh, that it's, it's, it's a problem and it's also a blessing if you're, if you're a politician, which is the wars, these so-called secret wars, have been done relatively cheaply. That is, it, that is Afghanistan and Iraq have, have cost the United States dearly in terms of blood and treasure, but uh, these other fights have been devastation on the cheap. Sure. You can, if you put up the costs of drone operations in Pakistan against the costs of keeping 100,000 troops in Afghanistan, I mean, there's no comparison. And for that reason, you can also use secret budgets uh, in order to pay for them. Budgets like the CIA budget, which is entirely black, uh, drone operations can fall within the black budget and have no transparency. And if they need more funding, they go to Congress and they get more secret funding. So, so right, that's a real benefit uh, 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 in the minds of a lot of people for, well, you can, you can have these uh, kind of effects and not see what we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mark Mazzetti is a correspondent for the New York Times. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.